Hi, this is Wilson, lead pastor of Renew Church OC. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Our sermon series, Psalms, the Internal Life of David, pairs narratives from David's life with Psalms that help us pull back the curtain to understand what he's feeling, how he's praying, and the way he's relating to God. LA is all about how you look and the two-second impression you give to other people. But God doesn't look at the appearance. He looks at the heart. I hope this series helps us to take our eyes off of the external and focuses our attention on developing our internal life with Jesus. Well, cool. So we're going to be moving on towards the message part of our service. I need to work out more. That just snapped. Okay, I'm standing over here. Uh, we're heading over to uh, the, uh, the message part. And, um, and, and what we like to do to, to foster fellowship and community is we like to open up the message with a time of questions and reviewing. So you guys could turn to the people around you. And I want you guys to ask yourselves uh, this question. Is, has there ever been a time where you felt surrounded, overwhelmed, or a great sense of fear. And uh, for those that are new, I really hope that that moment isn't right now. Um, But I promise you everyone here is pretty friendly and pretty nice, doesn't bite. And so why don't we talk amongst each other for the first few minutes and then I'll bring us back. Okay. Hopefully that uh, stirred up some good conversation. I I do uh, apologize if, you know, that's not the first thing we want to think about in the morning when we wake up. Uh, is a time that we felt surrounded. Um, I want to share an illustration with you guys, uh, an illustration that I think actually really fits really well. Um, you know, I really think, but we're going to give it a shot, and I think it really applies to David in today's passage. Uh, history has never been much of an interest to me. School hasn't been much of an interest to me. I'm not the greatest role model there, um, but let's give this a shot. Has anyone heard of the great American colonel, Chesty Puller. Anyone? Anyone fans of Chesty Puller here? Okay, neither, neither have I. And when I was doing research on it, I was just looking up a quote because I knew there was this famous quote about uh, yelling out, we're surrounded. And I don't know if that was from Star Wars, but I'm going to leave the Star Wars uh, illustrations to Pastor Dave. Um, but I looked at this quote and I found out Chesty Puller, he got the nickname Chesty because he had the biggest chest in all of the Marines. So this guy, uh, but he earned it. He had the hardware to back it up. And so to this day, Chesty Puller is the most decorated and most highly revered Marine to ever live to this day. He is totaling five Navy crosses, one distinguished cross, a total of 21 stars, and he also has a purple heart. So Chesty Puller was the real deal. So much the real deal that they have a mascot for the Marines, and it's a bulldog. Can you guess what his name is? Chesty. So Chesty the Bulldog, they keep, uh, every time Chesty the Bulldog, they get a new bulldog. His name's Chesty the Second, Chesty the Third, Chesty the Fourth. And so the Marines still refer to him to this day. And uh, if you guys are still with me, I know it's a lot of history, but it's, it's going to come full circle. Stick with me. Stick with me on this one. Well, 72 years ago, almost to this week, to this day, there was the Korean War. And so Chesty is leading his battalion into against communists 
and uh, taking the allies into a battalion around this key reservoir. And a reservoir has a lot of different straits, a lot of different rivers around it, and they're trying to get influence over this space. And um, I'll skip to the point, but essentially this battalion, they don't go alone because they're going into unknown territory, they're looking for the enemy, and you wouldn't want to be caught 20 to 1 in the middle of, uh, in the middle of Korea, right? And so what happens up next is the communists flank their backside and ambush the battalion that's with them, cutting Chesty and his battalion off from all of their resources, all of their communications and connections, and half of their men is now gone. Guys are starting to freak out. They're saying this is it. They're praying to whoever, and they're saying this is their end. Um, well, Chesty lived through that. And Chesty, in one of the most famous speeches ever given to this group of men, he says, guys, it's been days now, and we finally found the enemy, and we're surrounded. That's the problem. But the good thing is, is it simplifies the problem. And I think about that quote, see, Colonel Chesty knew that they were surrounded, and he was able to identify, hey, the odds are against us, but what are we going to do next? Now that we're surrounded, what is, who are we turning to next? Who are we going to next? And so I, I think about this as we take this Colonel Chesty to our own lives in this quote, is I think about when we feel surrounded. I, I don't think it's every day that we wake up and we feel like there's enemies outside our doors and that death is imminent living in Orange County. Um, but the truth is, is we can relate to a lot of these feelings. We can feel an insurmountable amount of pressure weighing on us. We can feel a sense of not meeting these expectations so much that it cripples us in anxiety and fear. We can feel like we're surrounded when relationships aren't healthy and well, when we feel like we're in discourse with each other. And so what I want us to think about is when we feel surrounded, what do we turn to next? Who do we turn to next? Well, for David, I believe the Bible shows us that he turned to the Lord first that instead of reacting or turning to something else, that he sought the Lord. And it shifted his focus. He shifted from focusing on his problem to the problem solver. And as we pick back up the series, if you're still with us in 1 Samuel and the Psalms, we're focusing on the internal life of David. We know that David is anointed to be king, that the Lord has chosen him, and uh, he's been blessed, and that David is a man after God's own heart, right? Uh, but Saul is presently king, and he's not having one bit of it. He's having this power struggle with David. He's defiant. He's stacking odds against him. He's irrational. He's throwing spears at him after David plays him a song. Uh, and he's jealous of David's continued success. And so seeing David as a threat, he continues to attempt to murder him. And that's a pretty heavy word to think about when we don't wake up and think that we could be murdered and also by our king who could do it in complete justice and have his way. Uh, but that's where we pick up in 1 Samuel 19. And if you would join me there, we're going to start on verse 11. Verse 11 says that Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, warned him, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through a window, and he fled and escaped. Then Michal took an idol and laid it on the bed, covering it with a garment and putting some goat's hair at the head. Skipping to verse 16, it says, And when Saul's men entered, there was the idol in the bed, and at the head was some goat's hair. 
And uh, immediately this scene took me to a scene in Lord of the Rings. And admittedly, I was worried about sharing this scene with you because everyone knows Star Wars scenes. Everyone knows Kylo Ren. Everyone knows Rise of the Resistance. Lord of the Rings feels a little outdated. But if you guys can, uh, you know, uh, entertain me for this one, is that um, Pastor Dave and I have a truce that I get to do Lord of the Rings analogies. And there's this scene where the hobbits are finally leaving the Shire. They're leaving all their comforts. They've got the ring. Frodo's like, yes, I'm going to go on this big trek. I'm headed straight to Mordor. I'll see you in three months. You know what I mean? Let's go, friends. We're going on an adventure. And uh, they realize that there's these things called, they're black riders called Nazgul's that can pick up on the ring's power and energy and follow Frodo. And so Gandalf, I mean, cutting quick to the short story, is Gandalf gives him a tip, lets him escape, and tells him to leave out the back. But there's this scene where the Nazgul's are surrounding in on their hotel, um, and they're coming in with their swords, and then they just start stabbing bedsheets. And Frodo isn't there, so they tricked him. And, and that's the predicament that David is in here right now, that he has his enemies creeping in on him, surrounding him. Um, but now that's the setting, that's the backdrop. And now we're going to shift our focus towards what is David's response to this? How does David respond when he's feeling surrounded, when he's feeling like death is imminent? At the fr- it is at the front door. In Psalm 59, if you guys would join me, um, I'm going to skip a few verses in the middle um, for my breath's sake. But um, if you would track and listen and receive the word of God, it says, Verse 1, deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from those who are after my blood. See how they lie in wait for me. Fierce men conspire against me for no offense or sin of mine, Lord. I have done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. Arise to help me. Look on my plight. You, Lord God Almighty, you who are the God of Israel, Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Show no mercy to wicked traitors. They return at evening, snarling like dogs, and prowl about the city. See what they spew from their mouths, and words from their lips are as sharp as swords. And they think, who can hear us? But you laugh at them, Lord. You scoff at all those nations. For you are my strength. I watch for you. You, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. God will go before me and will let me gloat over those who slander me. Skipping to verse 14. They return at evening, snarling like dogs and prowl about the city. They wander about for food and howl if not satisfied. But I will sing of your strength. In the morning, I will sing of your love. For you are my fortress, God, my refuge in times of trouble. You are my strength. I sing praise to you. You, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. Amen. So, a lot of people don't know this part about me, but in high school, I was this really, really cool thing called an Eagle Scout. And uh, pretty much you get all these merit badges uh, that says that you can do a lot of things, but by the time you're my age, you can't do any of those things. (laughs) And Pastor Wilson always asked me to orient and use a compass, but I can never use it, and he always rubs in my face. Um, But... I would spend summers as this special needs aide, and I got this really sweet job that I loved and adored, and I got the best job where I got to work with special needs Cub Scouts that wanted to go to camp and do all the normal activities. They just need a little bit of help. 
Um, so I had this amazing Cub Scout named Will. He was 10 years old, and he had high-functioning autism with a lot of bouts of anxiety. We would do camp activities. I would help him hold his bow. We'd, we'd knock some bullseyes. We'd talk about Minecraft. And then their family would invite me over for dinner. And this went on for about two to three years, about three summers. But every now and then, um, well, not every now and then, almost daily, there would be these moments where he has these triggers, where he would be set off. And he would go into these mini panic attacks. And uh, it would just feel like, kind of like how David's feeling. He would just feel like his world is crumbling. And this would happen about once almost every day. So if kids were playing like an intense game of gaga ball, or uh, they walk all over him, or even when Will would feel guilty about mean, being mean to other kids, he would feel this imminent trouble, and he would just run. So they would call him the runner uh, at camp. And you know, I, I think, I don't know if they fully understand, understood what he was going through, but whenever Will would feel triggered, he would just book it out the window, anywhere, anywhere he could find shelter or covering. And uh, I, my job was to run with him, to know that I'm not forgetting about him, that I'm going to chase after him, no matter how many times he does it. Um, so we would often find ourselves under the corner of a table, behind a trash can, uh, we would find ourselves on the ground in some bushes. And I remember sitting there in those moments with Will where he just got triggered, he's crying, and he would always do this technique he learned from his ABA therapist. It's a pretty familiar technique, but he would center himself and he would breathe 10 times and close his eyes, and then he'd have this meditative position like this. And uh, it didn't exactly look that peaceful because when he would get there, he would breathe like this, he'd be like, <laughs> And then close his eyes, and then I would just sit there and be like, is everything okay, Will? And he'd say, nothing's okay. And he would just be so angry. But I remember just doing this with him every single day and just sitting there uh, till he was ready. We would talk about what happened. And, and when I think about these moments for us, I, I, when I think about these moments when we feel like Will, these panic attacks, these anxiety, or feeling surrounded, I wonder... I wonder if these moments we can be like Will. When at the workplace, it feels like the expectations from our boss are insurmountable. When it feels like the expectations from our family is overwhelming. When we feel surrounded by expectations or the work that we have to do. I wonder what we turn to next. When we're filled with anxiety or feeling depression, I wonder, and in those own battles, who we turn to. And so I pray that we can be like Will and that we would know Psalm 59, that God is your strength in these moments, that he's not uh, a God that makes a, uh, your troubles absent, but he's your God that is in the midst of your troubles and wants to be in it with you. So God is your fortress and your refuge, a place where you can feel uh, grounded, a place where you can feel his presence. You can sense his leading. For David, he sought God and knew that it doesn't mean to take away his troubles, but in that very house, he knew uh, his house was a death trap, but in the fortress, he was secure. So how do we build this life of seeking a refuge in God? Well, I think Pastor Wilson addressed this very, very well last week, and I'm going to build a little bit on top of this, so I'm going to move with some brevity on this one. But first, would we invite God into the smaller moments of our life 
and trust that we will seek him in the bigger ones when they come to. David sought the Lord in his trials. In verse 37, in chapter 17, verse 37, it says, the Lord who rescued me from the paws of the lion, the paws of the bear, he will rescue me from Goliath, this Philistine as well too. And so uh, David sought the Lord with these smaller things. And as they grew bigger and bigger, and now to the space where he's being surrounded, he is now seeking the Lord once again. What would it look like for us to do the same in our own lives? You know, I think uh, Wilson addressed it well, so I'm going to reframe it in another way. And I think about how at church we get all these moments where we're, uh, we're praying, we're singing, we're saying encouraging words, we're connecting on all the things of the Lord, and then we go home, and then we go Monday through Saturday about our lives. And my question for you is, what would it look like to bring a piece of church into these spaces? What would it look like to bring church in your home, with your kids, with your family, to bring a slice of church there, whether it's connecting and fellowshipping, or reading God's word? What would it look like for at work when you need to run out to your car and play music and crank the AC for you to spend a moment just listening to worship, maybe one worship song, and maybe doing 10 breaths? Ehud and Joseph, uh, students in my college ministry, um, they recently told me that they just deleted their social media and I couldn't be more proud of them. I couldn't be more ecstatic for them because they wanted to fixate on God's voice. When there's so many voices going on all throughout the world being posted immediately out into the world and being shared in opinions, what would it look like to fixate on God's voice first? What would it look like to seek that, his input, his buy-in, what he has to say? And if you're still with me, I'm leading to the second point. We see in verse 3 through 5 of Psalm uh, 59 that honesty leads to intimacy with the Lord. A genuineness, a genuine relationship with the Lord leads to intimacy. And we see that David recognized his need for God in it. And so, you know, Kimberly, um, Kimberly and I are almost, uh, we're coming up on three years in a little bit uh, in our marriage. And we work really hard on our marriage Um, it's been a joy. And one thing that's really been blessing our marriage has been couples therapy. And it's probably one of the best decisions we've ever made. And, And what we're learning most about each other in this season is that it's so difficult to be honest with each other. It's so hard to be real with one another. There was, uh, there was this moment, this one session we had about a month or two ago where our therapist had shared, um, she's like, so what are, what are your fights look like? And we're like, oh man, they're bad, they're ugly. And she says, oh man, like how bad are we talking? And we're like, they're so bad. And she's like, is there like fighting? Is there physical, any physically? I'm like, no. She's like, is there yelling and breaking or hitting of anything? No. Is there, is there any unfair words or hurtful words that you're like attacking them with? I'm like, not really. And she said, it sounds like you guys are just being honest with each other for the first time. That you're just sharing some of your expectations and some of your hurts with each other. And Kimberly and I smiled in that session. We laughed at it um, because it never really occurred to us how much we were withholding parts of ourselves. That we could enjoy all these fun parts. We could have fun, we could giggle, we could laugh. But when it comes to missed expectations or missed emotions, or a lack of unity, or feeling missed in general, 
We, we couldn't communicate those. We're working on that. And I wonder if that's what our times with the Lord look like. I wonder if our times with the Lord, um, we want this intimacy with him, we, we ask for it, we desire it, and the Lord does meet that. But I wonder if our relationship kind of looks like this. We, we ask him for things. We, hey, Lord, could you bless this? Could you, could you give me this? Could you do this? Um, <clears throat> and I wonder if we're asking him all these things, and then we praise him, we hype him up, we give him his, we lift him up, we say, you're so good, we encourage you, you're amazing. Okay, bye but we never get to the part about what we're really going through. And I wonder if God is sitting on the other side of that seat and he's saying, I know the hairs on your head. I know your every thought, desire. I know your every need. Yet, can you not share this with me as a son coming to the Father? But can I share with you guys that I believe that when you guys do and are honest with the Lord, that he will honor and bless this that he might even feel closer to you as well, too. And how maybe telling God how much you need him might be just what you needed. And so it's in this space here, as we're bearing ourselves before the Lord, that we recall God's faithfulness and declare who God is. David worshiped God. He remembered that he can rely on him. He says this countless times over and over in the Psalms. He was with him with lions and bears. He was with him in David and Goli- with Goliath. He was with them with war after war with the Philistines. Even in verse uh, 17, I believe, um, verse 13, when he calls him God, you rule over the, till the ends of the earth. This is a repeat, actually, of a, of a praise he already said to the Lord in uh, 1 Samuel 17. He already said, God, you will rule to the ends of the earth with the same with the same words. And so we see that David is repeating once again, declaring that the Lord is faithful, declaring that he will meet him and who he is. And so it's when we're living out this internal reality of seeking refuge in the Lord um, and seeking his, his voice on everything, on matters, all things, his input, his presence, we can also know God as our strength, as our shield, as our fortress. And so what does that look like? I believe it would look exactly like verse 16 and 17. And it states, though the fierce and bloodthirsty dogs may prowl at the door, I will sing of your strength, God. In the morning, I will sing of your love, for you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. You are my strength. I sing praise to you. You, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. And so verse 16 and 17, we see that when we seek refuge in God, we can actually experience his peace and comfort. Surround us instead, that he is our refuge in times of trouble. And maybe when we do this and we seek refuge in the Lord, maybe it won't change the actual outcome. You know, maybe the Lord has a purpose in the outcome of that. But I do think it would change how we respond. It would change how we react to things. It would maybe even change our perspective that maybe one thing that we saw as a giant maybe isn't so big in comparison to the peace of God. Second, when we seek refuge in God, we rely on his strength instead of our own. We have confidence in his plans that God is my strength whom I can rely. And for some of us, this is very uncomfortable 
For some of us, we've only ever relied on our own strength. We force our schedules, we will overextend our deadlines, we'll overextend ourselves and our energy and our capacities. And then even sometimes we'll get frustrated and prideful when we don't feel like people are doing as much as us. And I wonder how your life would change if we began to rely on God's strength in the form of a Sabbath. That a Sabbath is really saying it's not only a gift to us, but in a commandment, but it's also saying, Lord, I trust you with this day, and I know that the other six days I will take care of, I will go to work those other six, but this day is for you and me. And I am saying I'm relying on you that so that I can put things off till Monday, but today is your day and today is my day with you. And lastly, we worship and sing praises to him. We sing because we are secure in him. When we worship in times of trouble, we might be giving one of the best gifts that we could possibly offer to the Lord. It's communicating the sense of, Lord, I need you. I can't do this without you. I confess that I can't do this without you. And we'll begin to sing songs like David, like, I will sing of your praise. I will sing of your strength, God. I will sing of your love. I will sing praise to you, my shield and fortress. Let's pray. God, we just come before you uh, just seeking your voice and your presence, Lord. We confess and repent of the times that we have relied on our own strength, Lord, or we have turned to the things that just are not you, Lord. And I ask that you would receive us, and Lord, that, um, that you would challenge us here today, Lord, of what it looks like to seek you in all things, Lord to have your voice before the voice of others, to seek your input before we interject our own. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to surrender this part to you. We would surrender all parts to you, leaning on your wisdom and knowing your ways are above ours. And so Lord, we just thank you that you're not a far away God, but you're just as near as ever. And so Lord, I pray that when struggles or suffering comes, Lord, that we would know who the Father's voice is, we would know where our refuge is. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't establish our own strengths or our own fortresses or our own houses, but Lord, we would build on yours and we would seek your house and your refuge and your fortress, Lord. And so Lord, we just thank you for your covering. We just thank you for who you are to us, Lord. And we just ask that, uh, ask that you would continue to draw us closer to you every day. We love you and pray this in your name, amen. Hi, this is Pastor Wilson again. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If our sermons have been a blessing to you, I'd love for you to consider supporting our church and ministry. As we approach the end of the year, we're asking our church family to consider investing into a special fund that support our interns and seminarians. Renew has a vision of investing in pastors for the next generation through our internship program. And your financial partnership can help set up a young pastor or missionary to faithfully serve the Lord for the next 30 to 40 years. I often dream about what Erwin or Kevin will do for the kingdom of God through their 30s, 40s, and 60s. Our goal is to raise $50,000 over the season. Would you consider joining us? You can give through PayPal or Venmo 
or by sending a check. All the information is on the description section of the podcast, or you can visit our website, and your investment is tax deductible. Thank you so much for being a part of our church family. If you're ever in the Fullerton, California area, please drop by into our Sunday service. I'd love to meet you. God bless.